All right, good afternoon. Good to see everybody. You're still awake after lunch, which is good. This is uh, Naturally Supernatural, uh, the part two of this, um, which is training your leaders to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, my name is Bill Thumalaris. You are in the science building in room 151. Um, and so uh, I'm the lead pastor of Oasis City Church in Westerville, Ohio. My wife, Lynn, uh, was supposed to be with me today to um, co-lead this uh, these last two sessions. However, she is in bed sick uh, with the flu. So uh, it came at a kind of poor timing, but uh, she sends her love. She did text earlier and want to know how it's going. Um, if you have any questions today, uh, any information you need, this is my email address. Feel free to email me with questions or ask me for information. I'd be happy to do that. Um, you ready to get started? No? Okay, we can just sit around and not do anything. Um, all right, uh, just question here, a few questions to get started. Anybody in the room, lead pastor, senior pastor, lead senior pastors. Okay, great. Anybody in the room, raise your hand if you are uh, a leader of a ministry team of some sort in your church or an elder, whatnot. Okay, all right, great. Um, anybody, ju- uh, anyone not an official leadership capacity or a title of a church, just a parishioner, congregate member, and you're really interested in this? Okay, great. All right. Um, so you probably have the most challenge because you'll need to uh, talk to leadership about anything that I say, and they'll have to make sure it's not heresy. Um, but, but once they figure out it's not, then you might have a voice, and uh, hopefully um, today we'll learn something. I kind of put this as a part two to a session I did earlier. If you need that, I'm sure the audio will be available to you uh, for that um, and which was how the Holy Spirit can move on a Sunday morning service without seeming weird, Sunday morning service. And so um, the, the second part is really more of a practical leadership level, because if you really don't have leaders that, that know how to pastor um, the move of the Holy Spirit, that's when, that's when chaos, a negative chaos can happen. I talked about Genesis chapter 1, talks about um, in verse 2, where the Holy Spirit's hovering over the, that word there, hovering over a formless uh, earth that just had water and it was dark and everything that word there is where we get the word chaos the holy spirit really hovered over the chaos so the holy ghost is really wanting to be over anything that doesn't have shape yet over anything that seems fractured over something that's voided that's that's what he does best um, he wants to hover over it so chaos isn't a scary word um, as long as the holy ghost is involved it's a, it's a scary word when he's not involved and we don't know how to pastor it and then it just gets crazy and then you get a bunch of rumors started about your church. Uh, I like rumors about our church. I just want it to be like, hey, you know I hear that everybody who goes there gets healed. It's a great rumor. Because uh, the fact is not everybody who comes here gets healed, but a lot of people that come to our church get healed. Um, so I think it's a great rumor to have. Uh, I, I want the rumor that says, man, God's presence is so thick in that church um, that I, I can't help but go back, even if the music is, is terrible. Uh, God's presence is there. I mean, that's the kind of service that I want. I, I, you don't have to like our music, um, but man, you, you, you better know and feel the Holy Spirit more than memorizing the song list if you're coming to our church. That's the, the vibe that we want. So I want to encourage you some practical ways that you can um, train leaders. The first thing we do as leaders, training leaders, is praying. We pray together. Um, let, let me read the summary here of the, of the class so you can get it here. When, supernatural, uh, when the supernatural starts happening in the church, it's important to have leaders trained to respond effectively 
and appropriately. This session is going to focus on developing a prayer team that's sensitive to the Holy Spirit, implementing protocols for effective altar ministry, and addressing team members who step outside the protocols. Um, This is about a team. This is about a team that can function together. Um, So this is my ministry team guidelines, um, and and we're going to get there to a second. The first thing that we do on our ministry team is if you're on our ministry team, you're required to... we, 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 We have a ministry team... Um, our, let me just back up a second. Our church is a church plant, um, and it is about a little over three years. We celebrate three years in, in September, so it's three and a half years old. We, we moved in from out of the state and, and planted a church, started in our living room, partnered with the Ohio Ministry Network, and the, the rest is history. We've just grown that way. We, we didn't have a launch team. We didn't have, there's was, there was four of us that moved here from Pittsburgh, and we started, um, we started this church. And so when we first doing, started doing public services, I mean, we started in our living room with like six people. Um, and we did that small group for a little bit of time. We started doing some public preview services. I mean, it was like 30, 40 people that, that were coming. So um, we just started differently than, than other churches. It's probably not the easiest way to plan a church. Um, but for us, it was, we relied on the Holy Spirit for everything that we did. So um, now our church is over 300 plus something like that. And, um, so we're not big by any means, but we are just, we're just watching God do things. So we train a ministry team and the ministry team, if you're on, if you're serving that Sunday, you're required to be at pre-service prayer. Um, or you can't serve because we have to gather together as a a team, even if that's just 15 minutes to pray. And so what we do is we gather together before each service and um, whether I'm there or not, which I'm there most of the time, but if I'm handling something, um, we have our our ministry team director that that leads the prayer. And we just gather together as a prayer time. Our worship team's asked is required to be there as well because they are on the front lines and they're opening the service. And we pray and at the end of, of prayer, we take the last two to four minutes and we simply ask the question, um, What's, is, what do you see the Holy Spirit doing? So we ask you the question. So if you're on the prayer team, I'm asking you, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you that he wants to do today? Now you're on the spot to have an answer. Now, do you have to have an answer? No, but the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you so you can have an answer. And he doesn't want to say the same thing to every person because uh, we, we, all, uh, we all aren't chocolate chip cookies. We all aren't peanut butter cookies. You know, we're in a giant assortment. And so he wants to, to talk to each of us. And so people will just say what they see. And that's all I say. That's all I ask them to do. I don't want a message. I don't want a paragraph. I don't want a sermon. Just tell me what you see. What do you see? What do you see the Holy Spirit doing? It puts people on the spot. Because at first, if they're new, they're scared to say something. That's great. That's fine. It's like a holy fear of God. I don't want to misrepresent the Lord. Uh, but we, but we get more comfortable with it and we just say, what do you see? And people say, man, I see people getting healed. I see people in children's ministry getting saved. I see people in the parking lot, our parking lot ministry. I mean, we had a word the other day that, you know, for we were praying for our parking lot ministry and, you know, somebody ended up getting healed in the parking lot. I mean, it was just like craziness, uh, because they had difficulty coming in. They attended said, Hey, can I pray for you? Like before they ever got into service. So, so we build that pre-service now you know, if you want to be really cool about it, you're building it on Friday and Saturday and Monday and Wednesday. You know, yeah, you're praying all week. But, but when we gather on Sunday morning, we gather intentional. What's God saying? What's he saying? What does he want to do? And sometimes you feel pressure like, wow, 
we, we need to perform this. Well, no, no, you don't need to perform it. You just need to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's saying and what he wants to do. The, I, I, I don't have any pressure on myself to, to, do, to make it happen. You know why? Because I can't make it happen. But what I can do is I can say, okay, Holy Spirit, if you want to do this, how can you do it in the next 90 minutes? We do, we do two services with a half-hour break, 90 minutes apiece, and the 90 minutes is built in because we have ministry time at the end of every service. Sometimes our ministry time is right after worship. Sometimes our ministry time is in the middle of my message. Sometimes our ministry time, we actually had ministry time at the front end one time. It was amazing. So most often it's at the end of the message because it just flows better that way. You know, I like people to hear what I have to say and then see what God wants to do. <laughs> That's a joke. Um, but the... the but, but, you know, being flexible to what, how the Holy Spirit wants to move. Man, if you really feel like God is, it has a burning message in your heart, there's nothing better than to break the flow of the service to, to announce something from heaven. I'm telling you, there's nothing better. You know why? Because your people sit there and they, they sit through your, your, your set every week. They know what's coming next. They know you're going to do this much music and then you're going to get a free whatever and then you're going to be asked to greet somebody and you're going to be asked to give and then they're going to hear a message and you're going to see a video transition and it's going to be nice and clean and I'm all for a really nice clean service absolutely I love it I'm an organized person I love organization you know we serve a God who is the best organizer in the universe he's the most administrative being in the universe but you know what else he is he's the most creative being in the universe so if God doesn't have a complex about that stuff, you shouldn't. He's the most creative and most administrative being in all eternity. And he's both of that at the same time. He does have three persons and you only have one. But, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe that's part of his creativity. So, so I love a clean service. But the best thing to do is to interrupt the service with a message from heaven. It's like breaking news, man. Everybody, if you're watching the news, this just in, boy, your eyes are like, what? You're watching a TV show, this just in, breaking report, ticker tape at the bottom, your eyes go right there. Well, what if you had a moment in service where this just in, God just said this, or he said it earlier, and now's the time to do it. Now's the time he wants to do it. Sometimes God will say something early in the week, and I'm waiting at the moment during the worship of the church I'm waiting in that moment. Where is it that he wants to do it? And man, when I take the platform and I announce what he wants to do, or if I tell somebody else to take the platform and announce what he wants to do, it's amazing how receptive the people are. Because they're in an attitude of worship, they're submitting themselves before the Lord, and they're receptive to the things of heaven at that moment. So there's nothing better than breaking the flow but you've got to have substance if you're going to do it. If you're breaking the flow and it sounds quacky and, and it has no, it, 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 you know, it, it, this, this, the pasta is not sticking to the wall, then, then you need to revisit what you're doing. If you're doing it for showmanship, man, they'll see right through that in a heartbeat. If you're doing it uh, with a leisure suit on, definitely go change clothes first. Um, but you need to be really, really aware and passionate. But here's the thing, and I told this to the first crowd, um, the Holy Spirit is more passionate about your church than you are. He's more in love with your church than you are. And I really love my church. I really do. I've given my life for it. My family have sacrificed what they knew to build a church. So we've given our lives for it. But, but the Lord is more passionate about my church than I am. 
And it humbles me because, man, I'm really passionate about it. So um, here's, uh, here's our ministry team guidelines. I figured I'd just give them to you so you can have them and I'm not hiding anything. So uh, our OECD Church ministry team guidelines. One thing we are passionate about is meeting with God and providing opportunities for people to encounter Him. Where, the, <clears throat> where uh, we are there to encourage those seeking God and to bless what the Holy Spirit is doing. So we're there to encourage those um, seeking God and to bless what the Holy Spirit is doing. One of the best prayers you can pray if you don't know what to pray is you bless what the Holy Spirit's doing in somebody's life. God already knows what he wants to do in their life. You don't know. And if you know, you only know in part. You can say what you know, but if you don't know, just bless what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life. And you're there to, to, to allow opportunities for people to encounter him. They want to, you know, it's one thing for God to speak through you. It's one thing for God, for people to encounter heaven because you represent Jesus. Absolutely. I believe it. I preach it. I'm aware of it every day. I want to be aware of it every day that I represent Jesus. I represent him wherever I am. He's living in me. That's awesome. But, but how about when they encounter a Holy Spirit and it has nothing to do with you? How about when you're out of the equation and God wants to do something in somebody's heart and during worship they're crying in tears because their marriage is in a, in, in a pitfall. You don't know anything about it and he's ministering to them. Then we are there to facilitate. That's all we're there to do is to facilitate people to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And if I'm doing something that prevents that because I have a program in mind, then I'm, I, am, I am cutting off this pipeline, this conduit of, of the Holy Spirit being able to minister to people. So all I want to do is I want to come alongside the Holy Spirit to what He's doing. That's our prayer all the time. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? Why do we want to know? So we can come alongside of it. So we can support it. So again, man, I, you know, I, I, we, we, we have a set. We have a worship set. We, uh, you know, we preach great messages. We have a great Pro presenter. I mean, we, we do all these great things, but but if we are if we are void of the activity of the Holy Spirit, then all we've done is gather people um, uh, for a social gathering, because all it is is like minded people. The YMCA can do that. The Masons can do that. I mean, they do it better than the church. A lot of these other organizations, the Lions Club, can do that. I mean, uh, your community center does it. They just gather like minded people. Like-minded people from your city, they all support the same thing. And the Democratic Party does it. The Republican Party does it. Independents do it. Tea Party people do it. I mean, uh, you know, and it's just social. It's not life-changing impact. And so that's what we want to do. Here's our ministry team guidelines. Are you ready? If you're a part of our ministry team, this is what you learn. This is how you learn to pray for people. Um, so you go through this session, and we teach you, we watch you, and then we release you. Um, so the, the, first, the first session is this. Gender, be sensible. Gender, be sensible. Only pray for someone who shares your gender. This is just a, this is just a guiding rule within our church. There are a few people who can break that rule. If you're not, you already know who you are. So if you're not one of them, then you can't break the rule. So the pastoral team can break that rule. Um, and our ministry team, our, our team directors can break that rule. Um, but we only break that rule in a sensible fashion anyway. Um, but I can uh, pray for a woman, 
but I'm always aware of that. And I always have my wife come over, another woman come over, but I can minister to somebody in that way. But you have to be a seasoned minister to be able to, to break these rules. And it has to be in public. I don't ever do any of this ever, you know, in private, but, um, only pray for someone who shares your gender. Prayer ministry can bring up all sorts of stuff. And it's wise to make sure there's always somebody praying that is of the same sex as the person receiving prayer. Even if you're married, we ask that you adhere to this so as not to confuse the others around you. So married, I, I get this a lot from, from married women or married men. Well, I'm married. Well, that's fine. But maybe that person doesn't know you're married. And a lot of times people are in emotional state and brokenness when prayer. And so, and when they need ministry and they need altar ministry and a lot of times they can attach soulishly with a person of the opposite sex for comfort because that's what we kind of do. Um, even same sex. I mean, people and you know, homosexuals would, would be the same thing. It, it, it's tough when, um, I know this is tough in the church today because it's like the first question I always get, what about same sex? What about uh, homosexual? And I say, you know, I, I totally get it. We keep this gender rule, but if you're wherever, wherever unsure, we just grab another person to come alongside you. That's why it's called a prayer team ministry team. So if we have somebody that, that, um, is homosexual or whatnot, and we feel like there, there might be, um, you know, uh, ill motives in that prayer time, we just have another team member come over and it's a, a woman or a man that would just come alongside. Sometimes husbands and wives minister together. And so that way anybody can come up because if you're a male and female, then anyone can come up. This is talking about individual prayer time. But if you're partnered up, male and female, then anybody can come up for prayer. Uh, so a lot of our people are husbands and wives, and they come up and minister together. But, but sometimes we have people serving. We have husbands and wives on the ministry team. But maybe the wife is serving in children's ministry that Sunday, or the husband's an usher or a parking lot, or the husband's in children's ministry. So a lot of times they're not ministering together. But if they're ministering together, this kind of is, is a mute point. But do you understand the, the impact of this? I can move forward. Eyes, be watchful. So the first one is gender, be sensible, eyes, be watchful. We minister with our eyes open so that we can see what God is doing and how the person is responding. I tell our worship leader, to all, anybody who leads worship in our church, I tell them to leave worship with their eyes open. Now I say that because I am a worship leader and I've, I've, been, I've been leading worship for 20 years. And I know the temptation... To be up there like, ah, you know, I know that, you know, the, you, you close your eyes, you feel the Lord, you know, or you, you're afraid of the people, you know, um, but, and although occasionally eyes closed, I always tell people for, that are ministering. Now I know this is prayer team, but I tell all people on the platform, minister with your eyes open. You've got to learn to minister with your eyes open. You've got to learn to see what God is doing. If if we only have a second Chronicles experience where the Holy Spirit comes, the glory of God comes and we all fall, that's a sovereign move and that's awesome. But the Holy Spirit, see, the Holy Spirit wasn't active in a part of every person's life in the old covenant. So new covenant it is. So old covenant, sovereign move of the Holy Spirit in the temple, sovereign move in the tabernacle, sovereign moves. We have this experience. The priest could have other experiences that the people couldn't have. Um, mountaintop experiences, mountain experiences, the voice of God, the people here. What did he say? Moses said, some heard thunder, some heard this, you know, there's all these sovereign moves of the Lord. New covenant, we have this personal relationship. So if you are only doing an old covenant model where you are, um, not focus on what God's doing, how can you function in the presence of the Lord? 
if he wants to be with us all the time. He's not just coming one time and leaving. So the Holy Spirit wants to be in our service from start to finish. How can you function in the Holy Spirit if you're laid out on the floor with your eyes closed, just having your own little party with him? Now, there's nothing wrong with that if he's ministering to you, but if it's an every week thing, then you, are, you need to learn how to function under the unction of the Holy Spirit and with his power flowing through you. And part of that is being aware with your eyes open. So when you're praying for someone, is this helping you? I I can feel it right now. Some people are like, I don't agree with that. Some people are, but this will help you. Trust me. When you are praying for somebody one-on-one and you're praying with your eyes open, see, we're not cheating. We're not looking for like, did I say it? Did they cry? You know? (laughs) Is that a tear? I think it's a tear. Oh, no, they're just wiping their eyes. You know, know, what is this? Oh, yeah, I'm on to something. Now I can do it. No, but what you are is, is, listen to this. We minister with our eyes open so we can see what God is doing and how the person is responding. It also means we can be prepared if a person looks like they may fall over under the power of the Holy Spirit. Ushers are there to help. When they, but when there's no one around, firstly, please make sure you catch them. Try to make sure they're comfortable and their dignity is maintained, i.e. nothing is on show that shouldn't be. Um, that's why your eyes need to be open. You need to be open because you see how the Holy Spirit's responding. And if there's not a catcher there, you need to be able to catch that person. We teach you, we teach you how to catch somebody if you're praying for them one-on-one. I mean, there's an easy way to do it. And it's not like this because you'll pull your back out. You know, you get to the side of them you, and, and, and you can politely, um, hopefully, lay that person on the floor. But so even if there's not ushers, even if there's not a ministry team, you pray with your eyes open because you can see what the Lord is doing, how people are responding. And you can see if they're about to fall down, if they're getting the shakes, if they are manifesting in some way. If you have a demonic manifestation, well, you need to see it. You can't be, oh, Jesus, bless him. Somebody's manifesting and you're just like, oh, you know, Holy Spirit, just, you know. You've got to be engaged in what's going as a minister. Now, if you're not ministering, if you're just receiving, man, have your eyes closed and be snotting everywhere and have headphones on. I don't care. But if that's in receiving mode. In ministry mode, you are active. You're a servant of the Lord, but you're a minister of the Holy Spirit in this time. And you have to have your eyes open. So be watchful. And again, I tell that if you're on the platform, you're watchful. You've got to see what God's doing. And, and you've got to look at me. You've got to see what, what I'm doing. Because I may have a different direction I want to steer things in. And I want it to be kind of seamless. And... Um, so if you're, if you're serving on the team and the ministry team, have your eyes open. You got to know what God's doing and look around. Ears, or wait a minute, am I on ears or hands? Where am I? Oh, I missed ears. Here you go. Sorry, I'll, I'll read ears to you. I must have forgot to type it. Ears, be discerning. Oh, wait a minute. I'm on hands. Wait a minute, is that ears after that? Yeah, here we go. So let's go hands. Hold on. My bad. I I did it right the first time. See, Uh, Hands, be sensitive. Hands, be sensitive. Oh, be careful, little hands. If it's appropriate, we lay hands on people when we pray for them. Absolutely. I'm not here to convince you of the scripture. You can read it for yourself. Um, Mark 1, 10 through 45 is a great example. Matthew 19, 13 through 15 is another good example. We lay hands on the sick, they recover. That's the principle. Jesus said it, we do it, we follow it. So when appropriate, lay hands on people, but be sensitive to how you do it. It's appropriate 
We lay hands on people when we pray for them. If it's appropriate, we lay hands on them, people when we pray for them. This can be helpful for a person being prayed for and will calm any fear the person may be feeling. It's also biblical, especially in relation to healing and blessings. Mark 1, 10 through 45, Matthew 19, 13 through 15. If it's appropriate to pray in this way, please be sensitive about where you place your hands. It's okay to get the person to lay their own hand on their body if you prefer. We say this. I, I like people laying hands on a shoulder. It's non-threatening. It's usually within reach. If someone's higher or lower than you, it usually works. Ladies have really pretty hair, and they don't want somebody doing this. So be sensible. Be sensible. If you're going to touch the head for whatever reason, I say take two fingers and touch the forehead. That's fine. Um, you know, I mean, come on. This is 2016. We all should know. Don't push anybody. Don't, um, you know, don't have bad breath. Have mints. You know, these kind of things. You, you should know this already. That's why you're in this class. I mean, you should kind of have a, an understanding of a ministry team. But if you don't, I'm telling you now, have breath mints available. Um, and if you have anointing oil, that's fine. Don't be sloppy. Don't put anointing oil on people's clothes. If your hands are covered in oil, don't do this. They leave with your finger handprint on them and, and you, you ruin their $60 shirt. You know, don't, don't do that. Just lightly on the fingers. No pressure. Fingers on the forehead. No pressure. But hand on the shoulder is the most common way um, that we pray for people. Or some people come like this. And we just, if they do, we just gently, gently grab their hand. Just like this. I put my thumb in somebody's palm. Just like this. It's nice. It's gentle. It's not leading. We're not pushing. We're not swaying. We're not doing anything like this. A lot of times, I don't even, I don't even a lot of times I don't touch people. I just stand right in front of them and I just, you know, speak things. Uh, and every once in a while, I'll touch them at the end. I'll speak something and touch them at the end. So, uh, but you, but hands need to be sensible. I mean, don't put your hand on a body part that shouldn't be. And, and particularly, um, if there is a different gender happening, and even in the same gender, a lot of times if there's a, uh, if we're praying, for example, somebody has stomach issues, um, uh, colon issues, um, irritable bowel syndrome, t- t- tumors, something like this, we ask them to put their hands on their body part, their, their abdomen or whatever, and then we put a hand over top of it. Or if I'm there praying for a lady, I'll have another lady put their hand over the belly and I put my hand over that so that I'm actually not touching a woman's stomach. I'm not touching a, a woman's breast. I'm not touching their heart or anything like that. So just, you've got to be sensitive to where you place your hands. But don't not lay hands on people. Why? Because it's very scriptural to lay hands on the sick and they recover. And, and, and I, know, I, I know this. I know that it's Jesus in us that heals people. Absolutely. It's by the stripes of Jesus that we're healed. His body broken for us, his, body, his, his blood shed for us. Absolutely. It's Jesus in us. But, but Jesus isn't just healing people on their own at their home. They're coming to church and you're supposed to heal them. Did you hear me? You are supposed to heal them. You. In the grocery store, you're supposed to heal them. Jesus never said to to pray for the sick when he sent out the 70, when he sent out the 12. He did not say it. He said, heal the sick. He took pray out of it. All right, I know I have to hit this a little harder because I can see see your eyes. 
It's the Holy Spirit in you. Absolutely. You're not doing the work. However, you are the vessel he's working through. So Jesus says, go heal them. Go make disciples. Go cast out devils. He says it. Go, go, go. You go. You heal. You save. You save the people. You set them free. You break bondages. You set the captives free. That's what he says. Jesus' Jesus words. You set the captives free. So it's not enough to go pray for people. See, that's an easy excuse. Oh, we just, we're praying for you from home. I know you're, you're healed. No, you go, go to their house if they're sick and bedridden. You know, it's not a Facebook post, you know, status comment. Oh, I'm praying for you. That's fine. But, but what about you putting some action behind it? So it's the Holy Spirit through you. Absolutely. We know that. It's Jesus in us. But if we're not doing the work, then we're failing the gospel. Cool. Now we got it. The word salvation is throughout the New Testament a lot. Rarely does it mean a born-again eternity experience. Rarely. The word salvation is there because it literally means to save or to repair or to heal that which is broken. To save as in a savior, a kingdom. And oftentimes the word salvation throughout the scripture, particularly if you look at it in the book of Romans and such, it's meaning this saving moment out of somebody's brokenness. It's not a born again experience. Now we want them to be born again, absolutely. And, and, and when someone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things are gone. The new things are coming. So we want them to have this born again experience. But oftentimes this saving mentality is us as Christians going to the world and saving them, saving other Christians, their brokenness, their lives that are filled with sickness and disease and no hope. And you're bringing salvation to a hopeless situation. Got it? So the hands are important. Because your hands represent this comfort of the Holy Spirit, represents the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you're laying hands on them, you're providing salvation to their need. Maybe their need is healing. So healing's coming because salvation is coming in them. Yeah. Matthew 19 says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them to pray for them. How was Jesus going to pray for them? Yeah. Is it just one person? No. It's children. It's a group of children. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to the, are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. Great model. Multiple people got their hands, hands laid upon them by Jesus and he blessed them. Remember what I said? You bless what the Holy Spirit is doing. Bless what the Father is doing. That's one of my prayers. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but I bless what he's doing. And this is a model that you look at from Jesus. He blessed them. He laid hands on them and he blessed them. Ears, be discerning. Be discerning. Don't be afraid to ask people what they would like prayer for and what God is doing, even if the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully on them. Um, I use Luke 18 for an example on this. We'll read it in a second. 
Now, please be aware not to turn this into a long conversation. This is the time for the Holy Spirit to offer counseling, not you. So anytime somebody's getting prayer, there's no counseling involved. The team is very aware of that. You do not counsel people. You pray for people. We have other counsel stuff that takes place and pastoral needs. It's not your job to counsel them. It's your job to pray for them. But your ears have to be discerning. Your physical ears, you need to hear what the person's saying, but also your spiritual ears. You, and don't be afraid to ask what they would like prayer for, even if the Holy Spirit's moving. So that means if, if you're praying for somebody and they're shaking and all this, and you're like, I didn't want to interrupt what the Holy Spirit's doing. Well, no, no, it's fine for you to say, hey, excuse me, what would you like prayer for? We want to hear what the needs of the people are. Jesus did it. Let's take a look at Luke 18, verse 40. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and he ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Isn't that great? All right. Okay. Your faith has healed you. What healed the guy? Did Jesus heal him? Yeah, I mean, you know, that was just a, I know that was a toughy one. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God, and all who saw it praised God too. Jesus heard this guy shouting for him, and he stopped, and he ordered that the man be brought to him. At that point, I bet Jesus could ask the father what did the guy want, and the father would have told him. Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. So we have to believe, okay, there's a connection there. There's this divine connection. Jesus 100% God, 100% man. But what does he do even though he's God? He asks somebody what they want prayer for. In asking someone, when they, are at, when they repeat what they want prayer for, faith has an opportunity to activate in their heart. Jesus said, all right, you got it. Oh, by the way, your faith has healed you. What faith? Well, the faith that was crying out for Jesus when he was walking by, there's faith. And the faith that when he said, what do you want? I want my sight. He knew what, what he expected. There was an expectancy there. The atmosphere of expectancy is the breeding ground for the miraculous. Great quote. So there was an expectancy there. This man expected his sight when he asked for his sight. Jesus probably knew he was blind. But what if he was a blind man and came up, but he was limping too? And he said, I didn't want my leg healed. That would have been a paradox, now, wouldn't it? Does Jesus heal his eyes or heal his leg? Or does Jesus just heal them both at one moment? But it's interesting that Jesus probably knew he was blind, probably knew he wanted his sight, but he still asked the question. It's important to us to ask the question. Be discerning in your spiritual ears. Um, but again, it's not a time for conversation. It's not a time for counseling. It's what happened. We tell people all the time, uh, a lot of times people want to talk about their ailment, particularly if it's a physical uh, injury or a physical um, disease or sickness that they've been carrying for a while. So they want to come up and they want to tell you their story because they're legitimizing why they need to be there. Okay, this is not a headache I'm talking about. I've suffered migraines for da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, and I've been to this doctor, this doctor, this doctor, this doctor. And we want a summary, and I tell people this often. We, our ministry team says, hey, just give me a brief summary of what you need prayer for, 
and then they jump right into prey. Don't let the people get so caught up in their own sickness and disease. Now their focus is not on Jesus anymore. Their focus is on their sickness and disease. And now their faith level, when they came up, now they're like, I, I should just go sit down. You know, it's, it sounds so bad. I've been limping for 20 years. I should just sit down. No, so, so have an opportunity for them to talk because it does release faith. Because now, when God heals them, he knows exactly, they have an expectancy there. However, don't let it be a saga. Don't let them talk about, uh, you know, my daddy left me, my mama left me, my this, my this, my this. All of that's true. That's for a counseling session. Okay? What we're doing is we just want to hear so we can pray accurately and pray according to the spirit and according to the natural. So Jesus right here prayed according to the natural, did not pray according to the spirit. He didn't supernaturally say, oh, there's a blind man over there three rows back, I'm going to heal him. That would be like a word of knowledge right there. Jesus didn't operate in that, although he could have. This was very natural. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? There's, in other words, there's options. What do you want me to take care of right now? And he did. And all saw it, praise God too. So there's the testimony aspect. When you operate in the ministry in the right way, there's a testimony that follows. And people see it, and they praise God too. And that's how word word spreads. You guys okay here? All right. Words, be loving. Words, be loving. If you feel like you have a prophetic word or picture, offer these as a prayer or in such a way that the person being healed, being prayed for can decide how appropriate it is for them. Always seek to build up comfort and encourage the person you're praying for according to 1 Corinthians 14, 3 which says, but, no, but, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Words be loving. It's extremely important as representatives of the Holy Spirit, particularly in the healing of the Holy Spirit, is that we have loving words for people. Loving words for people. We represent the shalom peace of God. Now, that word shalom just doesn't mean peace. Man, you do a study on the word shalom. It's an incredible word. And it means complete, total healing, physical healing, emotional healing, complete blessing, living a life of blessing, living a life of righteousness, living a life of holiness, living a life of peace. I mean, it's, it's a, and it means per- perfect salvation. It means completely born-again experience, salvation to the Lord. This word means so much. It's packed. You should do a word study on the shalom word and how it's used in Jewish blessings and prayers. I mean, it's amazing. It's used different ways at different times. So our words are important, and we represent the shalom peace. And all this is what I'm saying. It's a shalom experience. You're, a, you're giving them a shalom healing a blessing word. You're laying hands on them. You're being sensible to them. You're being, you're being um, sensitive uh, you're being sensible with, with gender, all of this. And you're, you're being discerning with your ears. And with your words, you're being loving. Loving. It's not a counsel session. And it's not a, well, you know, you should have done. Well, I told you you should have left him. Or I told you you shouldn't have. And I know you've been partying every week. You shouldn't be, you know, you, you shouldn't have went to the club last night and be in church tonight. No, words be loving. One who prophesies does it a certain way. And let me tell you, take a look at the verse. Tell me what negative part is there. Good, because there isn't any. But one who prophesies strengthens. There's nothing negative about that. Encourages and comforts. That's the, that's the mission of prophecy in the New Testament. 
Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy, man, that's a different animal. New Testament prophecy looks like this. Always seek to build up comfort and encourage the person you're praying for. Now, here's what we say. Here's my rules. Please do not prophesy concerning marital relationships, engagements, or the like, nor regarding pregnancy, babies, and dates. We jokingly say no dates, no mates. Please do not give medical advice whatsoever. For example, telling someone to stop taking medication or changing a doctor's orders. If you feel like you have a prophetic word in this avenue, please talk to a pastor and they will decide if it's appropriate to deliver. We're there to encourage. We have a ministry team. It's not a prophetic team, although some of them operate that way. But we, it's a ministry team. So if a prophetic word is something that is, is feel like they're being delivered, it needs to be witnessed. And that has to be witnessed by a pastor and you have to go get that pastor. And there's zero excuse when somebody says, oh, but I just felt it in the moment. And, you know, I didn't have time to go get a pastor. No, if it's a true prophecy, it's good now. And it's good five minutes from now when a pastor can come over and witness it. It's good five days from now. So I don't, I don't allow those type of excuses in our ministry. Um, and, and we take it very seriously. We take the word of the Lord seriously. And so when you are, um, when you're praying for someone, we do it according to this, to, to build up encourage and comfort the person. Um, and we don't prophesy dates or mates or give medical advice. We don't say, go home and talk to your, uh, stop taking your medicine. What we say is if we feel like somebody's healed or if they say, I feel they're healed, we say, go get a report from your doctor, make an appointment tomorrow. That's what we tell them. So, you know, really just be aware of, um, be aware of how powerful your words are and don't be prophesying babies and dates and marriages and all that stuff because that is not what you're called to do in a ministry team. And most importantly, it's because you now have to clean up that mess. Your pastors have to clean up that mess if you make a mess. Um, if you feel a certain way about somebody, you can go talk, tell the leadership. You can tell the pastor, man, I really think um, she's going to be pregnant soon or whatnot. That's fine to say on that. Just don't go telling that person, particularly that you're saying that's a word from the Lord. Um, ready? Waiting. Be patient. Be patient when praying with people. God moves in his time, not ours. Be patient. Make sure you're listening to both the person you're praying for and to God. Don't be afraid to wait on him. There's, this is not a race to the finish line in our ministry times. Oftentimes you want to see instantaneous healing. But just like the lepers, if you, if, if you remember, uh, and, and it's a whole other teaching, you know, Jesus um, heals them, tells them to go back to the priest. Now, why did he do that? Well, if you have to go back to the Old Testament to find out why he did that, because that was, that was part of the law. Because the priests were basically the medical doctor of the time, and they were the only ones, according, if you read it, it's either Leviticus or Deuteronomy, but if you read the law, it said that um, the priests were, when somebody got healed of leprosy, because people actually did get healed of leprosy in the Old Testament, they actually did. And when they did, they had to go to the priest. The priest certified that, leper, that they were cleansed, and then they could go back to um, uh, their families. But they had to be certified by the priest. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't come to just destroy the whole system. He tells them to do what they've been taught to do, go to the priest. The priest's going to verify that they've been healed. So 
um, in that, of course, um, the, the scripture says, as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were healed. Very important words. We look over it. As they went, which means that some, I don't know which, which one, which, you know, of course we know the, the message of the story is who came back to give thanks. That's the whole message of the story. But, and not everybody is thankful. Um, but as they went, they were healed. That means that sometimes people aren't healed right in front of you. But as they go, they're healed. That means we see the representation of a healing process. Sometimes it's days as they went. Sometimes it's years as they went. Sometimes it's, you know, hours as they went. I want it to be soon. Absolutely. I want it to be right now. But there is a, there is a, a room for the Holy Spirit in faith and working in someone's life that as they go, they are healed. This happens oftentimes. We see it in our, in, in our church. I want a lot of things instantaneously, but we get a lot of reports of people being healed two and three hours later after they went home. The next day, they'll call us, they'll put it on our, they'll message us, they'll put it on their Facebook status or whatnot, that the prayer happened and the answer to the prayer took place hours later. I don't know why God does it. It'd be better for my patience if he did it right, right there. It'd be better for my ego too. Um, that's probably why he doesn't do it. But be patient. Just allow the Holy Spirit to move as he does, and keep praying. You know, Jesus prayed for a, man, a blind man twice. The first time it didn't work. I know that's tough to hear. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's a model. Maybe Jesus is trying to tell us something. He prays for a blind man. He says, what do you see? I see men like trees walking. Did that guy see clearly? No. Men don't look like trees. It's blurry, in other words. He got partial healing. So what did Jesus do again? He prayed again. And the man is healed. And that's pretty cool, because in like 20 seconds, the guy gets eyeballs. He does. He doesn't have eyeballs. He had mud for eyeballs, and then he gets eyeballs. It's pretty cool, the way Jesus does it. But, but Jesus says, what do you see? And it's important. We ask questions. We pray for people. How do you feel? What do you see? Try it out. Do something you couldn't do. These are words we use. That takes a lot of risk. It really does. Because I'm kind of like... All right, I'll walk away. I'll come back when you're healed. You know, I, I don't want to see that you're not. That's how I'm bent. That's how I'm tempted. Um, but when we tell people, do something you couldn't do, and then they do it, most often, they're 50 to 75% healed in a service, most often. Sometimes we don't see the whole healing. But uh, oftentimes, within a week, two weeks, 24 hours, 48 hours, we get healings. But, and, and I don't know why. I, I don't, I'm not here to tell you that I understand the system or the process, but I'm here to tell you that I understand that there is a system. There is a process that the Holy Ghost does sometimes that I don't understand. But I'm okay with that. I just need to be obedient to what he tells me to do. And if I'm not obedient to pray and full of faith, a prayer, and to see if somebody can respond to me, like, what do you see? And if I'm not willing to have them, and I'm not vulnerable enough to have them say what they see, even they see trees like men walking and I'm like, darn it, I wish you saw. But I need to celebrate the progress here. Um, so this patience thing is really critical. It really is. There are people that we pray for for weeks. I mean, there, there's, um, there's a person battling something in our church. Had, um, 
I mean, just an amazing woman, one of our intercessors. And she came a Sunday. She came up. She said, Pastor, um, I have lesions all over my liver. It's really bad. And, you know, we're we're talking months here. um, But will you pray? I said, absolutely. And this woman's full of faith, man. So we prayed. And I said, man, she's got months to live. I'm praying for every time I can see her. So every time she's in church, hey, let's pray. Or if I couldn't do it, I put people on her. Ministry team, let's pray. Let's pray for her. Let's pray for her. Let's pray for her. She goes back three months later. She has no, her liver's totally normal. Totally normal. They do an MRI. They do a CT scan. There's nothing, nothing left on at all. So I'm just saying, I don't know when God did it, but I celebrate that he did it. And, and he didn't have to do it when I prayed. He didn't have to do it when, it wasn't me fasting and praying. It was when we were praying as the body of Christ and we just laid hands and we just said, we're going to do it every week. Now, what would happen if we didn't do it every week? I don't know. I don't know. Did he heal her because he loved her in her prayer closet? Probably because she's amazing. But he loves all of you. He loves all of me. But we live in a fallen world that has sickness and disease and we are sent to overcome it. We have to learn to wait and be patient on the Lord. And don't, don't look like a crazy idiot out there like, uh, making up false doctrine because your prayer wasn't answered. People do that. They do. Um, they'll just make up false doctrine. And, and pretty soon Jesus doesn't heal every time. Pretty soon it's God's sovereignty whether you want to be healed or not. And, and that's baloney. That's really, it's just, it's not the New Testament. We don't always have victory. I know that. It's frustrating. It really is. People die when you think they shouldn't die. But, it's false doctrine to say, um, boy, I shouldn't, uh, this seminar is not about that, but it's false doctrine just to make up uh, reasons on your excuses and your failures, and now Jesus is based on your failures and not on his successes. That's false doctrine. And the church has been doing that for too long, too long. It's easy just to say, oh, that was for then. Why? Because I don't want to take responsibility and it happening now in my life. So that was for then. Tongues is for here. Healing's for here. It's dispensationalism here. This, let's just place it there to where it's really comfortable because I'm not responsible to deal with it. No, that's not the New Testament. You're responsible. How many, how many demons are you casting out? You're responsible. He, I mean, Jesus makes your job description really easy. Heal the sick. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. Oh, and make disciples. He says four things. That's your job description. What's the plan of God for my life? There it is. Do it. Do it at JCPenney. Do it at Macy's. Do it at Chase Bank. Do it at the church. Do it, in the, do it on the school bus. This is your job description. Our ministry team knows their job description. That's it. Those four things. That's your job description. And if we're not doing it, is it his fault? <laughs> it's not his fault. Okay. I'm going to breeze through the next point so I can get questions. I have eight minutes. I have two more points. Disclosures, be wise. If someone shares information that's sensitive, try not to appear to be shocked. Gosh. I just had an affair. You did what? You know, I, I had a, I, I'm pregnant. What? I mean, those, I, I mean, I'm telling you, you can't, your face is important. Your face is important. Try not to appear to be shocked for their disclosure. Although confidentiality is of the utmost importance, do not promise to keep anything a secret. 
The team knows this. Do not promise. Because the person that said, I just had an affair, that, needs, that accountability needs to be known pastorally. So you can say, this isn't like, the confidentiality is very important. But never promise that you're keeping something a secret. Especially somebody who's, you know, uh, 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 you know, there's a molestation taking place. Somebody needs a healing for something. If it's criminal or whatnot, you, that, you have to tell that person, hey, I am responsible to report this to our leaders. However, we, we promise you that other people in the church don't have to know about this. Other people, there's not going to be gossip or slander or anything. These kind of things happen. Yeah, do they happen on a, a regular basis? Probably not. But oftentimes, our team needs to be prepared on how to deal with something like this. How to deal with, how to deal with a, a, a person who says, I'm pregnant, and I don't know what to do. I don't know who to tell. I know I can't tell so-and-so because then... so. So what do we do with that information? So we have to be, be, disclosures, you have to be very wise. I'm going to move on. Be aware. This is the last line. Space, be aware. Please ensure that people have enough personal space and don't feel overcrowded. Man, you know close talkers. (laughs) You can't be a close talker and be on the ministry team. I say arm's length. That's what I tell them. Be arm's length. People don't want you in their face. Be arm's length. Um, that's why the, the whole hand on the shoulder, I like it because it shows it represents like a distance an arm's length, you know, don't be hugging and crying on people. You know, it, there are times where people need hugged and, and stuff in ministry. Of course, that's where the gender thing is very important. And there's times, but, but, um, we don't approach the ministry like that. Okay. That that's their choice. We don't approach that. Um, it's great to have more than one person praying for someone at a time. So feel free to join in. We, we encourage uh, two people kind of double up kind of prayer. We encourage that for safety and such. Um, that said, it can be distracting if a large group prays for someone in ministry times, especially if it's a sensitive subject. Please ensure that people have enough personal space and don't feel overcrowded. Um, and then, of course, we say if you have any questions about any of these, uh, you need to ask the team leader and, and the, the, um, the pastoral team, and then we address situations as needed. Uh, open it up for any questions. Got five minutes. I know I'm a fat. I, I just get right to it, don't I? Can you show the screen before this? Yeah, show. Uh huh. Thank you. Is this helpful? I mean, you're not going to say no. You're probably all going to say yes at this point because of the lying thing. But, but, hopefully, this was helpful. Um, any any questions? Yes. Yeah, every one of these were written because I've seen the opposite happen. Is that what you mean? <laughs> yeah, I didn't. So yeah. I know, you're, I believe your story. So I'm saying, like as a younger person, were, were people around you like healing? And, or did you just read and you're like, I think I can do this now. Oh, no, I was taught a lot about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a young person, you know, a lot of the ministry um, uh, that I was exposed to in, and just major Holy Spirit outpouring was in Toronto at the, uh, Toronto airport Christian fellowship. And you either love the fact that I said that or hate it, but it doesn't really care because it made a huge impact in my life. But, um, I learned tons of ministry training through them. And then we've had ministry training at, at, at our other church. And I actually taught a large, uh, a mega church ministry team that we had, we had, uh, I don't know, 60, 70 people on our ministry team. Uh, but, uh, so, yeah, I mean, this was something I've learned for, for a long time, and I've collaborated different thoughts and ideas of what worked, what doesn't work, and, and put this together. You talked about how you almost create a lab where you have people do it, and then you release them. Yeah. So can you just briefly tell us what that looks like? So they have a training, I'm guessing, in classroom, 
yep. and the ministry team. Okay, I'll answer that, and then we have one more question, and I'm probably over time, so you, I'll, I'll call on you in a second. Uh, yeah, so what we do, if you're new to the ministry team, you have to come to the training. You have to fill out an application, and, and we ask you a great question. One of my favorite questions that I wrote on the application is, if I called your former pastor, what would he say about you? I, and when people don't put anything there, then they don't on the team. <laughs> I already know, like, I don't want that person on the team. Because as a church plant, you get people from other churches. So when I say, hey, if I call your foreign pastor, what are they going to say about you? And, and so that's an easy answer. So you have to fill out an application. You have to be interviewed. So you come through a training. You fill out an application. We interview you. It's a quick interview, 10 minutes. But we go through. We make sure everything's accurate. We ask, we ask people, what do you think your gifts of the spirit, you know, your spiritual gifts are? Uh, how do you know? Do you feel like you have an offer? Uh, do you feel like you're in fivefold ministry or not? We ask people these things. Then what we do, we interview them, and if you make the cut, then we partner you with somebody on the team, and you serve that way for a month, and then you're released to be a, a team member. Yes? Do you have any downloadable resources you can direct us to? Uh, I wish I did. Um, you, you can have this if you want. <laughs> it's probably, I mean, you already saw it all, but, <laughs> I, I, you know, I really don't. Um, I do have some things I'm working on, but... Uh, Oh, you mean recommend some stuff like this, practical things, or yeah. I mean, I got a ton of stuff I could recommend, but like like ministry team or yeah, probably. I mean, I, I've got several sources of of, but it depends on what you're looking for particularly. But yeah, I mean, I could show you some stuff. Anyone else? You guys have been great. Three twenty-eight. I've got two minutes. If you have another question. All right. Well. I guess class dismissed. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Hope you had fun.